Welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror, film, and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost and your podcast host. We've just wrapped up our second series of the podcast, which focused all on female monsters. And before we start with our third series, we'll be covering new films or series that are coming out and that we really want to talk about. There's so much good horror stuff coming out right now. We will have plenty of material for bonus episodes. And today's episode is going to be all about Relic, the debut feature film director Natalie Erica James. Relic is the haunting story of three women. When family matriarch Edna goes missing, her daughter and granddaughter return home to find her. What they discover is a haunting presence hanging over the home, which is taking over Edna's mind. After premiering in the UK at the London Film Festival, where I was lucky enough to be able to interview Natalie, Relic is now available to watch in the UK in cinemas and on VOD. I'm joined in this episode by the UK editor of Den of Geek, Rosie Fletcher, to discuss in depth our thoughts about Relic. The first part of the episode will be our overall take on the film and will be spoiler free for anyone who hasn't had a chance to see it yet. And I will leave a timestamp in the show notes to mark the moment where we go into our spoilerific discussion about Relic. Rosie, thank you so much for taking the time to come to the podcast to chat to me about Relic. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And we've been trying to get together to talk about something on the podcast for a while now. So yes. I'm glad that it's about this film in particular. Yeah, I am too. I really love this and really connected with it. So I was super pleased that we could finally make this work. Yeah. So tell me your thoughts about Relic. Well, so Relic is, of course, the directorial debut of um, Australian Japanese director Natalie Erica James. And uh it's a movie, um, it is a horror movie, but it's a movie about dementia. And uh, I, I really loved it, but I, I was thinking about this before we, uh, before we started chatting, Anna. And uh, so a lot of horror has, has deeper meaning uh, hidden beneath the depths of its genre trappings. And I, I felt like Relic had genre trappings hidden beneath the depths of its clearly dramatic structure. Do you know what I mean? Go on. I do know what you mean, but I'm really interested to um, to hear your thoughts behind this. Well, so Relic is a film about dementia, and it's very openly, clearly a film about dementia. It's not it's not hiding that. It's not, you know, so um, just very slightly to digress. There's a movie that I love, which, by the way, people should check out. It's a small independent, I think a Sheffield movie called Harold's Going Stiff. And that's a zombie movie, but really it's a movie about dementia. Relic is a drama about dementia that turns into a crazy kind of body horror and this very strange beautiful kind of complicated saga but really clearly at heart it is I would not not even at heart it's openly a movie about dementia and about aging and about sort of um, mother-daughter relationships as well um so yeah I, I loved it very much I would say and I know lots of people um bulk at this particular description mm -hmm. but, but I don't have a better one but it does come under the category of elevated horror Ooh. I know I know but <laughs> I know but can we you know what I mean though right I know what you mean yeah but there is something really interesting that you mentioned that like there's a lot of um there's a lot of horror films that have that are kind of about something else you know they're tapping into larger themes a lot of them kind of political or social themes but superficially they also work as a genre film and you kind of think you're mentioning that relic is kind of the opposite so do you think it do you think it kind of works for the film to you to be a drama that's using horror tropes or horror tools 
to explore the subject of dementia. I do. I, I do. And I think it's actually genuinely quite fascinating mm. and possibly an indication of where we are at the moment with genre. Because mm. so oftentimes and historically, you'd have a, a, a horror movie would be able to get away with talking about as you, exactly as you say, like politics and social commentary, mm. because it, they snuck it in. Whereas it almost feels like it's more palatable now because horror is now cool and a thing and people like it and there are fans mm. that it's like, well, I want to make a movie about dementia, but don't just make some boring drama because we won't find an audience. Let's make it a horror. So it's almost like this kind of weird reversal where it was like horror was the dirty little secret. Now it's almost like, no, don't make a drama. Just make a horror. Do you know what I mean? That's an interesting point, but actually I wanted to pick you up on that and ask mm. where do you think relic then sits within within contemporary horror um that's a very interesting question so it has been drawing comparisons to things like the babadook which is uh, quite understandable i think i think it does share quite a lot with the babadook mm. it's australian for a start female first time director uh, but also the house the production design in relic mm -hmm. is extremely important and also um Natalie describes that when she was um, sort of first pitching that movie, it was around the time of Babadook and mm -hmm. Babadook's success had helped her get the film picked up. But also Hereditary is is the other thing that people talk about it in, in terms of. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's more to do with this kind of the horror of family and sort of matriarchs. So, so that's sort of where I would put it. But I would say that certainly compared to Hereditary, it's a much gentler film. Like, it's a film that's full of compassion, really. Oh, for sure. And I wanted to bring up kind of the, the lead characters of Relic, which, as you mentioned, it's it's a generational drama, really. Mm. The lead characters are all three women who are related to each other. So, you know, the grandmother, the mother and the daughter. So what do you make of their dynamic and how Relic explores that? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? So you have Edna, who's the the grandmother, mm -hmm. who's this very, um, she's, so, uh, so the general gist plot of the film is, let's say you have the grandmother, Edna, Kay, her daughter, and Sam, Kay's daughter, and they don't live together, but Ed Edna goes missing, so they go to her house and wait for a couple of days, and she comes back, doesn't remember where she was, and there are some odd things going on, um, and she's this kind of sort of old-fashioned, quite stoic woman mm -hmm. whereas who's clearly a bit disconnected from her daughter and then you've got Sam the, the granddaughter who uh, sort of almost sort of loves her grandmother unconditionally and they have an incredibly affectionate relationship um so it is sort of it's it's looking at the the difficult dynamics between mothers and daughters really mm -hmm. and how different that is with with grandmothers and granddaughters and it's quite a, a sort of a fascinating um interplay so really like Kay who's played by Emily Mortimer who's the sort of the second generation mother is, is almost like at the center of this and having to make all these difficult decisions and f feeling like maybe she's disappointing her own daughter and letting down her own mother it's you know it's quite a sort of stressful mm. but very sympathetic sort of um character and that's kind of all the all the drama the dramatic relationships between them that, that you were talking about before but do you think it also draws uh, elements of fear or creates fear out of the relationships between these women yeah i think particularly so one of my favorite scenes in it is i don't think this is a spoiler really is a scene between 
um, Sam, the, the younger daughter, and her grandmother. And there's like very clear affection and they dance together and it's all rather be you know beautiful and affectionate. Um, but then Edna forgets that she's given this ring to Sam yes. and then tries to rip it from her hands and it's mm -hmm. clearly causing her pain. And, you know, the, this this terrible sort of moment where this her, the grandmother who's only ever sort of loved her is suddenly incredibly unpredictable and that, mm -hmm. you know, there's a real fear in that, you know, and, and also Sam has, has promised to live with her and, and you think, but don't though. And so this terrible... <laughs> Well, you, but you do, and this, and isn't that, isn't this a terrible thing, a terrible moment in a person's life, where you think, actually, it's not safe to live with my own grandmother, to, you know, to not, it's not safe to be with my own family. I mean, what a terrible thing, what a mm. terrible moment, you know. Definitely, we're going to dig into that a little bit more in spoilers. But before we go mm. into that, I wanted to ask you, kind of, the film, I think, kind of draws from a lot of different influences, both literary and cinematic. And Natalie Erica James has spoken a lot about her love of Asian horror in particular. Mm. And so what kind of, what influences do you think Drellick draws from? Yeah, I can sort of see the Asian horror thing. I mean, I, um, certainly in the the domestic setting and the kind of um, production design, you can, you know, you, you feel things like um, dark water mm -hmm. with the kind of sense of the the rotting house. It's also a haunted house movie, although it's not a traditional haunted house movie. It is a haunted house movie. So you have, a, uh, I don't want to get into spoiler zone, but you you could see literary influences from things like perhaps House of Leaves. Totally. Which is a, a wonderful, very strange, beautiful novel, uh, which is also a haunted house novel of sorts. So, yeah, I guess it just, I guess you would say it draws on those, those traditions. Also, it had moments in it that reminded me of um, Under the Skin, I mean, it's not quite so willfully weird mm -hmm. as that, but I could sort of see things of that. You know, there are obvious sort of body horror references mm -hmm. in there. Yeah, so all sorts of things, really. And do you think it works as a haunted house movie as well? Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, it's in the second half, it very much becomes that, doesn't it? So mm -hmm. I think um, I think the first half of the film, it's Edna herself that's haunted. Although you do get a sense of... There is something very off-putting about that house. And I know that um, uh, Natalie Erica Jones talked has talked about her own grandmother's house mm -hmm. and how she was afraid of it when she was a child. And I think um, I think a lot of us can identify with that if we had grandparents who were alive when we were a little bit older, mm -hmm. uh, of this very um, old-fashioned, you know, but both connected to the past with these memories and, you know, wonderful things like that, but also something slightly decaying, you know, like that house in Relic, you can you can smell that house. Yes. <laughs> like, oh you, my god. Yes. Yeah. That's such a good way of putting it. It's so tactile, isn't it? Like yeah. The sounds. I, I definitely want to talk to you about the soundscape of the film, which I found one of the most effective elements of it. The yeah. way that you can smell and feel the house, and a lot of it is created not just just through the images, which mm. are you know, will look fairly familiar to genre fans, to horror fans who are particularly drawn to haunted house movies. It's all of that is kind of there, but there is something special that kind of bubbles underneath the imagery, which I think is made up of these, the 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 production design, but also the sound design. Yeah, I think um, you're absolutely right. And I think though, yes, some of this imagery will be familiar. What it isn't is gothic. And um, mm. It's, it's quite deliberately not gothic and I think it's quite 
I, I, I'm quite interested in these more modern sort of s- smaller, I suppose, mm. um, haunted house movies where where the house is is, is very familiar. Where mm. yeah, like you said, it's like oh, I, 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 that's it's got a. I find it such a terrible cliche to say it's got a personality, but but you sort of, but it's like it's an it's it's an extension of Edna's personality, isn't it? Mm, yeah, but it also kind of has that thing where it kind of taps into the uncanny, mm. where the film somehow manages to, and I guess this is a really a, a strong compliment to the film, where it manages to feel like going into the house of someone who you know really well, mm. and noticing straight away that there's something amiss. Because all the familiarity is there, but it feels and it smells different. Mm. It's essentially, this is a slightly corny way of putting it, but it's essentially like suddenly seeing someone who kind of you're no longer in a relationship with or suddenly someone who you kind of see in a different light and their entire being or even their face kind of changes because you're experiencing them in a completely different way. And it's the same person and they've always been that person, but suddenly something has shifted. Yeah, and you're... And you're- you're talking about the house, but you could just as easily be talking about Edna. And absolutely, you know, when we start off, Edna, when she comes back, she is herself, but she has this dark bruise mm-hmm. on her chest, and it's just a small thing. And she says, oh, "I'll probably knock myself," but it's the beginning of of a building mm. uh, unfamiliarity, isn't it? We're sort of tiptoeing around the stuff that we really want to talk about, mm-hmm. uh, but don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen the film yet. So before we move into spoilers, who do you think would really enjoy this film? Do you think horror fans would enjoy Relic? Um, yes. Well, the thing is, I think horror is such a, a broad church, isn't it? And like everybody likes lots of different things. Um, so lots of people I know absolutely loved it and were incredibly moved by it. But I also also know a couple of people who really hated it, and it's just because what what it isn't is big, lots of jump scares, crash bang clock. It's not that. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not gory. Um, it's quite slow. It's quite female. I thought, um, but it does have. It it is quite frightening towards the end. I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think if you like your horror sort of slow burn, if you were if you were a Babadook person, I think you'll probably be a, a relic person. <laughs> I love that that's how I'm going to start referring to people like that. You're a Babadook person or you're yeah. a relic person. You know what I mean. You know who the Babadook people are. I'm a Babadook person. Yeah, I'm a Babadook person as well. So let's dig a little bit deeper into relic in the spoiler section. That's the only thing left. All our memories. Mum, what is it? It's here. Who are you talking to? Your grandfather passed. This house seems unfamiliar.
So we've touched and kind of circled around the con- our conversation about the characters, but I'd love to go a little bit deeper in into the relationships between Edna Kay and Sam. So what do you make of the the dynamic between them, especially as it, the film progresses, kind of in the third in the third act, as everything starts to get a little bit more heightened? Mm. Well, so um, you have this scene towards. I think this would be second act, mm. where Kay basically is looking to put Edna into a home, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, something that Sam is very angry about, and it's and this is a sort of a, a kind of a little bit of a turning point in the film, mm-hmm. which causes um, like tension between the three of them, and sort of prompts Sam to say that she'll live with Edna, and and things from there get a little bit more fraught and a little bit more more dangerous. But towards the end, really towards the end, it's a reconciliation between Kay and Edna, between mm-hmm. Kay and her mother, which is which is all tied to memories that Kay has of her grandfather, I think. Yeah. Which this these horrific kind of um memories of a, a, a dead grandfather who wasn't looked after properly. Mm-hmm. And then you have like Sam who's terribly idealistic and is you know, she she says the line like, you know, isn't that supposed to, how it's supposed to work? You you change their nappies when they're kids and then they change yours when you know when mm-hmm. you're old. Um, and so by the end, the three become separated and then eventually, uh, united, but in the most graphic, horrific, but compassionate kind of, Mm. you know, closing sequence. And I wanted to hear your thoughts, especially about the character of Edna, who Mm. sort of is very much, I think, the anchor of the film, but also the the source of horror for the majority of it. Mm. Yeah, she's an interesting one, isn't she? Like, because she's quite, um, she's quite unfathomable mm. early on, but also powerful. So you do feel like, you, you feel her indignation at, of having to be watched. Yes. And, and her mm. losing her independence. But later, like, there's this wonderful, terrible scene where she's like eating photographs and like kind of, you know, and trying to bury these things, and it's like I suppose it's kind of like an attempt to to keep these memories, maybe. And and so she kind of knows she's, I guess she kind of knows she's deteriorating, can't bear it, and doesn't want to admit it. Uh, and and yeah, her and her deterioration is manifesting in her home, and you know she doesn't want to be taken away from that. I think, and she, I mean, she's um, is it Robin Nevin? She's yes, ter- terrific actress who can can carry off. So what she isn't is weak. Mm-hmm. or pathetic mm-hmm. you know she's she's she feels like this qu- like quite strong australian matriarch mm-hmm. who is like well you haven't been here to look after me all this time i'm fine mm-hmm. don't patronize me this is my house um but but and you know but is sort of haunted herself by memories and confused by things but doesn't really want to admit it mm-hmm. so it's yeah there's a lot of a lot of different sort of things going on with her and i think that's um the film's stronger for that because i think if she'd been less of a a formidable person i think some of the nuance of the film would be lost i think you're so absolutely right it's the fact that she's su- such a formidable mm-hmm. and kind of very fiercely independent woman that makes her deteriorate that makes i don't know i think it makes us feel her deterioration even more because it doesn't kind of within narratives around 
an, an older person perhaps succumbing to an illness or particularly dementia, there is an element always of of pity and mm. of woe is this experience and it's it's horrible, but also it makes you it makes you really feel the the family history, the family resentment, I think, that's there. So it's not just, oh, I'm so happy that my daughter and my granddaughter are here to take care of me. There's this resentment that they weren't there before mm. and that she still doesn't need them even when she does. She doesn't need anyone. But because the setting is this 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 horror film, everything she does becomes creepy. She's framed in in some parts of the film, at least kind of at the very um at the beginning and then in the middle, she's framed as kind of this source of of anxiety as well. Everything she does kind of gains this extra layer of eeriness, you know, from yeah. the candle making to yeah. kind of the way that she moves around the house, the way that she goes to take her bath, the way that she just sits. Suddenly everything is framed to make her sort of scary, which I wonder if that's something if that kind of is meant to say something away about the way that we deal with the elderly and especially mm. the way that we see older women or women as they're aging. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the the sort of the true horror of this, this movie, which is something that is quite difficult to look at, really, is... Um, so all three of them, Sam, Kay and Edna, all have this kind of um, fairly... I don't really like the word strong, but I'm going to say arsiness about them. <laughs> they're, they're all a bit arsy and they're yes. all quite sort of um, have a tendency to sort of a bit of stoicism and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so for Kay and later Sam watching Edna and her becoming sort of monstrous, well, of course they're frightened of her because she's them. She's like their future. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that. Like we don't like looking at that. It's, it's, it's horrible and it's terrifying and it's inevitable. We don't like looking at someone like Edna knowing how formidable she was because of the way that's portrayed and knowing that, you know, that doesn't matter how, like, capable we are today, that's us. Mm -hmm. That's happening. And even if it's not dementia, it's like the terror of, of of death i suppose mm -hmm. of our own decrepitude whether it's dementia or whether it's just aging is a very uncomfortable very frightening thing to look at and i think that that's what this movie is trying to do and i think that's what the journey that its characters go through that they Kay particularly does not want to look at it she doesn't want to look at it and edna doesn't want to be looked at anyway mm -hmm. and sam thinks she can handle something that she can't because she's young and she's idealistic and she is you know adores her grandmother but you know, and and then yeah, Edna becomes almost this this image of the monstrous without even really mm. being monstrous. And you know, I think your, your point about older ladies—I mean, that is an age-old thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This this the kind of the image of the witch or the crone. You know, we are afraid of. Well, I mean, quite frankly, it, horror movies are afraid of older ladies, or they're afraid of young women, and they're afraid <laughs> of village. But but it's but there are tropes around that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and there was like a whole subgenre, uh, exploitation, which basically just used <laughs> used all women as terrifying beings and very prone to going insane and murdering people. Yes, but, you know, I and I wanted to kind of ask about what you think about the way that this 
monstrosity starts manifesting in Edna. You know, you mentioned kind of the bruise that she mm. starts getting on her chest and kind of nobody knows. And, you know, when it plays a lot with really just hinting at anything supernatural it mm. because everything kind of can be explained with logic she might have fallen she might have uh, bumped into something um she might be kind of have an underlying condition or something like that so there's many ways to kind of explain it away without veering into anything paranormal but that very quickly becomes not the right thing <laughs> so there's clearly something bigger going on but what do you think of the way that this um physical this kind of body horror physically manifests mm. through Edna? Yeah, so it starts with the bruise, which and also um she talks to to someone who isn't there and it's like, is this a memory? Is there someone there? Mm-hmm. You know, is is this a, a ghost? What's you know, what's going on? And and I think Natalie talked about it in like nine stages of transformation, and yeah, this it's the growing bruise and the increasingly strange behaviour until, of course, by the very end, it's a full transformation. So, yeah. and and this is where we get into the. So this is when the movie like goes goes hereditary, if you will, where it has an ending that's just absolutely nuts, which involves the labyrinth and it involves Kay mm-hmm. peeling her own mother. Yep um in a in a way that is horrific but also incredibly sort of tender mm-hmm. maybe i think yeah. i mean it is it's a it's I an acceptance it's isn't it tender yeah natalie erica james um she likened it to people or old traditions of people washing the bodies mm-hmm. of the dead which i think is not something that we tend to do now in this culture and you know we're very well, that's why I think this film is quite uncomfortable because I think we, or maybe I'm just talking about myself here, but we we are really frightened to look at death. We don't we don't like to look at it. Hmm. And this is a, a film about no, look at it, like look at it properly, look at it. And so you know it, this moment of her peeling the skin from her mother, leaving this strange kind of blackened but clean corpse, and accepting that's that's what's inside that's what's left Hmm. it's just kind of quite a moment isn't it i thought it was extraordinarily tender and Mm. also very unexpected because there's i mean i I was going to ask you about the ending but let's talk about it now because Mm. i found it so surprising i think Mm. is the word because i was fully expecting it when i watched it to end after Kay managed to get Sam out of the walls and they were running mm. out of the door and she sort of looked at this um, yeah. this little stained glass window and looked at the her at her mother what was left of her and and closed the door. That's that's the horror movie ending. When she yeah. comes back and peels the skin of her mother and lays down with this creature mm. what's left of her, this husk, that's that's the thing that made it into something much more special and much more and kind of hate using the word special but yeah it felt like it had a point to make that was beyond let's get the fuck out of the house yeah absolutely and I think um yeah I completely agree and that she closes the door on Sam yes so and and Sam doesn't want her to Mm -hmm. but she does because she understands that like it is her responsibility to her mother that she hasn't been looking at and hasn't you know maybe hasn't always been there for mm-hmm. and 
it's her responsibility to, to her daughter to close the door on her and then she's like no I have to do this even though it's like personal risk to herself mm. and she doesn't know what she's going to find and then of course at the very end the, Sam comes back and the, the three women hug and it's mm. yeah beautiful and a bit chilling quite honestly yeah and there is a there is also the mark that Sam sees on Kay. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, which very kind of clearly taps into this theme of kind of intergenerational trauma or you know hereditary disease, mm. whatever whatever the shape or form the disease might take, be it be it physical, be it mm. um, psychological, and that's that's a a kind of a chilling ending because I think it taps into this idea of there's there's no escaping from. Yeah the things that you inherit from your family. Yeah, that's true. Although I didn't even necessarily, I mean, I, I completely agree with you, but I didn't even necessarily think about that as as heredity as much as now Edna's gone, that Sam will, is it's now her turn and she will have to go through this, whether it's disease, whether it's dementia, oh. or whether it's, whether it's just aging. It's almost like this is now. Oh, I is, love that reading you know, as well. That, like this is now you're going to have to do this. This is going to happen to you now. Like, oh, I like that very much. That's a that's a whole. I hadn't thought of that that way. And going into a little bit of the the filmmaking choices and the the more kind of um practical stuff. What did you make? You know, and sticking onto the ending for now. Mm. What did you make of uh, the choice of using practical effects in that scene and actually um, having this physical puppet designed? Mm. Um, because I, I spoke to Natalie Erica James as well for an interview I did with her and she did she did it was actually kind of a physical thing and she she wanted it to be a, a, a puppet so practical effect as opposed to um you know a, a CGI or someone in makeup yeah I mean I think it's great like it, I mean it wouldn't have worked with CGI at all that just mm. wouldn't have worked and I mean you could have done it with a person in makeup but um I think that the, the fact that it was a puppet meant that it could be weirder, <laughs> like yeah. and smaller. And I think the smallness was mm -hmm. important actually, because again, you know, you take Edna, who is a big person, a big mm -hmm. personality, and then finally to sort mm -hmm. of strip it down to this very small, you know, and it's and it was uh, the face was modelled on. On Robin's so it does mm -hmm. look like her as well it is it is still recognizable um and you can tell it's a physical presence I didn't know it was a puppet when I was watching the film but mm. but you know it's a thing yeah. you know because you can feel that connection and I think um I think it was a bold choice I think it worked really well and I think it, it helps with that sense of the uncanny doesn't it yes absolutely and I wanted to dig in a little bit into this idea of memories that you mentioned before as well, especially the memories that Kay has of these sort of flashbacks that we don't quite get an explanation for of a relative or maybe someone from their town or uh, their grandfather who sort of dies in a really yeah. intense visceral way and you know this shot of this uh, of this very decayed unkept uncared for body kind of comes back to haunt her and then comes back to this stained glass window mm. so there's a whole opportunity for us to create a a, fam a, a family history for them but that's not quite explained in the film what did you make of the way that it um uses no, memories yeah it's interesting isn't it because that isn't quite there's also the drawings which 
allude mm. to that place like it, it it's funny because it's so it's this um like little cabiny type thing with yeah the stained glass window and i think that that's i mean i think there's a lot to be picked apart there but i think that that maybe is something to do with um yeah family history i suppose mm -hmm. and bringing parts of that because the stained glass window is from there and bringing parts of that into the house and is that is that the cause of the problem? Is that the, you know, is that the, mm -hmm. has something dark been brought into Edna's house when they brought that across? And yeah, it's this, um, it's it's like a, it's a childhood memory, isn't it, mm -hmm. of her and her kind of maybe an early experience of of death. But then it's, you know, but you, there's odd bits of dialogue where she's talking about, oh no, he wasn't, he wasn't cared for properly, which I think is obviously quite important because we see that, well, yeah, but, you know, Edna. And I think that that's something, you know, that all ties into the end, doesn't it? When she sees the stained glass window, shuts out Sam and goes back in an acknowledgement of that not being her mother, her mother not being a decayed corpse left in a terrible, you know, decrepit house, but instead being afforded the the respect that that man wasn't. But I, I mean, it's, it's very atmospheric, isn't it? And mm -hmm. the, the sort of elliptical nature of it, well, like you said, it does, it talks about memory. It talks about, um, it also talks about that family's relationship, doesn't it? About things that aren't said and mm. about their diffi the difficulty that the three of them have to, you know, communicating with each other. Yes. And I wanted to move on to, the house itself mm. so we kind of we kind of skirted around it the house is always presented as slightly creepy slightly unkempt something weird is very palpably going on there but the house really become comes into its own or comes alive in in the last half of the film especially kind of when sam pretty much goes into the bowels of the house so what did you make about what did you think of the way that it's uh, that it's designed and that kind of labyrinthian struggle that Sam goes through manifests itself in the film. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what I was alluding to when I was talking about House mm. of Leaves earlier because mm -hmm. it has a similar and actually like um, unreliable architecture is actually a bit of a, a bit of a trope. And actually, it's a trope I quite like. I quite enjoy yeah. a lost in your own house um, moment. And I think it also slightly echoes or at least sort of talks to this idea of people with dementia quite often being lost in their own houses, like that you can, mm -hmm. that it's possible you've lived somewhere and you're, and you're losing your memory so badly that your own house doesn't, doesn't feel like it, it even belongs to you anymore. But of course, in this instance, it's Sam mm -hmm. that's, that's stuck in this incredibly sort of increasingly um, small, uh, like compact series of tunnels and she's lost and is almost being crushed. It reminded me very slightly of the ending of Borderlands, which I won't, with the Borderland rather, which I won't go into in case someone hasn't seen it, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I think that your use of the word, the bowels of the house is absolutely right. It does feel like you're inside. It's, she's almost being eaten by it. Mm -hmm. And her, and um, and of course Kay, needing to come and get her out of the walls and mm -hmm. both of them, you know, fighting with the house essentially. Mm -hmm. um, is, and it was, again, it was such an interesting choice, quite unexpected, um, because the film begins very naturalistically, you know, uh, mm. and it is really, really the horror of, of dementia. And then later it's, no, no, it's the house is eating you. That's happening. 
you know and I, I love that about the film that it's like no no this is a horror movie we're going to go to these places yes and we're going to have the house which begins as like you know it's like the chair isn't quite where it should be and mm-hmm. and we can see like the black mold and you know they're trying to clear things out but it's it's a right old mess and you know like like we were talking about um that you can you can smell it but then yeah. later on it becomes a, a demonic presence of its own and you were, you were talking earlier about the sound design and i think this that that becomes very important with the same thing like for me when i was watching it like sometimes because it uses it's it's sort of like um it's not orchestral it's like diegetic sound yes. and it's i felt like i was underwater at points do you know what I mean? With- yeah, I found it really interesting. And um, I have read and, and heard that Natalie Erica James used a combination of both um, kind of sound design and original composed music and sort of sort of weave them together. And I think you can really feel it in the film because everything kind of has an uncanny atmospheric air to it that I think is created by the soundtrack. But also the soundtrack itself, the music itself, is also peppered through with sounds that are diegetic and are actually intensified in their creepiness and kind of intensify the images. Because even in those, the film kind of have, especially at the beginning, has a lot of shots where it's just we're seeing the house. We're not really seeing anyone in there. It's empty rooms. Uh, you know, they're full of stuff. So we're kind of getting a feel for the place. But there's always something breathing in it if that makes sense mm. then it yes. is part of that a big part of that for me was the sound design is the fact that it's not just the camera movements that make us feel like or the framing that makes us feel like we're actually seeing this from some creature's point of view but it's actually something is lurking and breathing and living in the house itself and the walls and the floor and everything that creaks and moves around and you know, it's never kind of explained in a cheesy horror way of, you know, oh, yes, there's this demon here or this poltergeist or whatever. It's something a little more organic. And mm. I think to to create that kind of organic uncanniness, sound comes in much, much stronger. And I think it's much, much more important because sound has this way, even when you're listening to audio, to music or um to a very, you know, sound design podcast even it can create feelings in your bones in a way that images can't if that makes sense Mm. yeah I think um I think those are all excellent points um so I'm not like for whatever reason I find it very difficult to identify music I don't really um engage with music terribly much Mm -hmm. and I can't remember music Mm -hmm. very odd but like I'm a very much a words person Mm -hmm. um but this I think when you talk about breathing, I think that's absolutely right because it did feel like it had a pulse and a heart and, yeah, a sense of being underwater, which was slightly to do with either echoes or sounds being a bit further away than... I mean, I'm not very good at talking about these things either. That's how disengaged with music I am. But, like, <laughs> you know, like when you're underwater and you can hear something, but you can't, yes. you can't tell how far away it is. Yes. And there were things like moments like that in this film where it's like what am I I don't know what I'm hearing but I feel like it's it's all around me but I can't I can't tell directionally where it's coming from all all these sorts of things but yes very atmospheric and I think um I love this idea of it being the house almost as a creature which you know does sort of play itself out at the end of the film to start rounding up our conversation about it there's something kind of you that you touched on that you think it's not 
a gothic film and mm. i think it's a really interesting point because there is like our idea of a gothic atmosphere or a gothic horror i think it's also quite related to a very particular style or a very particular uh, time period and i was wondering kind of if you could expand on what you meant by that yeah i mean i guess it does have elements of, of gothic to it but i just didn't but yeah i think i think you're right it pose when i think about gothic horror or gothic houses i think about like shadows and hard angles and you know haunting a Hill house obviously being the reference point that a lot of us go to but this felt domestic it felt like the horror of um well, exactly what you were saying earlier of the familiar becoming unfamiliar so this mm -hmm. idea of this house that you have known forever for mm -hmm. your whole life that you you know it you absolutely know it that suddenly it's now full of things that you don't entirely understand and that are things that like absolutely as you said that are familiar but at the same time strange mm. and so making ordinary things weird I think is there's a movie called The Pact and that mm. that's it's not it's not the same as this quite different film but that uses like a very boring suburban house to become really terrifying as well mm. like I'm sort of quite interested in that idea of like um taking m mundane settings because the house is not I mean it becomes a creature but it's but it's a house it's a it's a it's just a it's just an old lady's house mm. you know and I mean it is it's also like you can tell that it's of a certain time period so like the furniture is a bit of its time and everything's a bit cluttered mm. and there's a sort of yeah a feel to it and a, a dampness to it almost oh dampness I love that you're so right <laughs> before we finish off is there We've spoken about a lot of the elements in the in mm. the film, but what was the the horror element of it, the horrific horrificness of it that struck you the most? Mm. Well, I think I watched it a couple of times, and I think on the mm. first watch, it's the it's the terror of her being stuck in this house and trying to bat her way out, and then mm -hmm. you know the, the demonic mother and all this kind of stuff. But I think, like on the second watch and thinking about it more, it's actually like it's the slow horror, isn't it? It's the it's the ending. It's the guilt because it's this is a film that has guilt mm. it is guilt going on here and and you can feel it and it's often this is like an incredibly personal story and because it's a personal story it's a very authentic story and so there's something about and also like being female mm. and having a mother you don't want to think about things like that you, you don't it's very hard to confront and like it is and it is a very I do think it's a very female film. I think if it had been, you know, a mother and a, a son, I think it would have been a different movie. And I, so for me, like the, the sort of horrificness is, is is kind of the emotional element, you know, mm -hmm. the, the the knowledge, the the guilt feelings towards your own parent, the acknowledgement that you're not getting any younger, you know, <laughs> against a horror setting. But I don't. Mm -hmm. know, I think that's what did, I think that's what did it for me. How about you? <laughs> I think you've kind of put it perfectly. Those are those are the things that really um are terrifying for everyone. I think Relic taps into a a particularly female take on those fears, on the fears of growing mm. old, on the fears of resenting uh your mother figure or mm. a mother figure, your family, or even your and the the burden of responsibility that comes to care 
for other people as well. There's, I think, a lot of guilt that Kay is carrying around, around her own sense of trying to protect her daughter and trying to protect herself. And there's a lot of unspoken difficulties that are very clear between her and her mother and her kind of the guilt of even having to make the choice between engaging with it or separating herself. And a lot of it is kind of between the lines, but I think a lot of the choices that that character makes are driven by those that kind of resentment that has clearly has been built up over years and the guilt that is kind of yeah blown out of proportion almost because we are in a horror film and everything is heightened. And I think that almost maximizes that ending, the tenderness of that yeah. moment. Yeah, I think there's... Like again, I think this because there's such authenticity to it. It's it's, it's tangible, isn't it? You can really, mm. it's Kay having to make decisions that she doesn't want to make, having mm. to look at things she doesn't want to look at, and like you, you f- really feel slightly manifest in some of those um image image memories that we were talking about earlier, of you know her really not like the responsibility of that, mm. her really not wanting to have to deal with this at all, but having to deal with it, and the and the knowledge that realistically we all have to deal with things like this. And there's a thing that I've been, as we were recording this, and you mentioned that this film felt very female, mm. um, I've been thinking about kind of what what that might mean, because I'm always a little bit wary of, of labeling things as, oh, this is, this is very female or this is very feminist, because all of those things sometimes are not kind of, Mm. implicit in the filmmaker's intention or it's very easy for things to kind of get labeled as one thing and then suddenly there's a set of expectations upon them that it feels um, unfair to place on a piece of work Mm. Um, but as you were talking I was suddenly thinking that there is something that does feel extremely female in the way that it's filmed or in the way that it's um, approached really and I'm thinking particularly of those scenes where as... And I I wanted to get your take on it and see if that's kind of what you were thinking as well. Those scenes where Kay is physically caring for Edna, especially as she grows more, more and more infected. So when the bruising spreads, when it becomes horrific, when she becomes kind of more monstrous and bits of her skin are falling off and you can see the black underneath and, you know, her eyes are dark and everything is, you know... This is not this is not kind of a side effect of dementia. So this is a horror mm. situation. But there is a thing where Kay always touches her. She mm. puts her in a bath. She touches her bruise. Then there's obviously the final scene where she peels off her skin skin in a very gentle way. And she touches and hugs and um lays down this creature that's left mm. behind. And I think this this approach to a body in decline and a female body in decline and a mind in decline would be very would be very different if it didn't come from that sensibility. I think it, is that is that kind of what maybe one of the things that you were yeah, thinking? It wasn't so much. So I don't see it as a, a as a feminist film. Not not that it should be not that it's not just but that's I just don't I just don't see it as a feminist but I do see mm. it as as feminine and yes 
um, I think you're absolutely right that I just think the dynamic would be different if it was men. I think mm. the the touching that you say is re- is really really key because of course you know like by its very nature like like women mothers and daughters like there's always that physical connection isn't there because like you've literally come from her body so mm. it's 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 you know there's a, there's a very physical thing between mothers not just mothers and daughters mothers and children mm-hmm. but that kind of acknowledgement of that and of and of course because Kay is a mother herself and so can identify with that um that yeah I think and there's a sort of absence of fear for mm. that body whereas I think if it was uh if Kay was a male character there'd be a certain reticence to or be automatically afraid of a female body that doesn't look like the type of female yeah. body or what kind of is expected from from women's bodies well possibly yeah w- w- absolutely but also um the acknowledgement of Kay and then Sam that that's what she's going to be like it's mm. this is what your future is you know that final scene with the three women mm. it wouldn't be the same if it was a, a bloke and two two women because it, it, it needs to be like this is this is us this is where you know, mm. with that little mark on Kay's chest at the end, like this is what my body will be like, and you know, and and later, Sam, this will be what your body is like, and you, you know, that yes, that sense of care, that sense of generationality. Um, I don't think it talks about that as well, you know, and the cast, you know, the casting. They're, they're both, they're all three of them, very beautiful women, of different ages and different kinds of of beauty, and I think mm. it, I think it talks about that as well, not not in a particularly explicit way. Mm-hmm. But I think you can't help but look at it like that and understand it like that and understand, you know, because you have shades of K as a child as well, you know, it just it just seems like this very clear picture of of kind of what a life looks like as a woman. I don't know if that's a bit um, highfalutin or whatever, but <laughs> but I definitely think that you know it is a film about aging, isn't it? Yeah. So to have these three women at different stages, and you know. Sam particularly being young and mm. strong and idealistic and Edna being sort of stoic and sort of angry mm. and angry that her body's letting her down and Kay in the middle of this situation trying to be trying to be practical and pragmatic but having to be gentle and you know having to do these things because I think you know it, it would be easy to judge Okay, but you you don't you don't you, you you feel for her really. Rosie, thank you so much for your time and your insight on this film. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to touch on that we we haven't discussed about Relic? No, I don't think so. I, I, I thought it was great. I mean, I thought <laughs> you know I love I love that. Like, so my my two favorite films of the year, um, horror wise, are this and Saint Maud, and I love that they're both uh, debut female directors. I think that's like a bit bit of a shame. It's twenty twenty. Like would have been nice if it could could have been a year where people could have gone to cinema to watch those films, but um, but so be it. Both wonderful movies. Uh, so yeah, I'm very happy to to see that's that's happening. Me too. Where can people find more of your work online, Rosie? So I'm the UK editor of Den of Geek. So if you go to Den of Geek, there's lots of me there. Um, and yes, you'll find me on the odd podcast and around the place. But Den of Geek uh, dot com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna.